Chad Johnson is bouncing in front of the huddle and Chad would wear gold fronts. This is what Chad was Chad. Chad's bouncing around in the huddle. This one, I think Chad's a bad man. Sean walks from the back of the huddle, bro, and goes, by the end of this day, I'm gonna be the only mother F out here with gold teeth. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Microsoft Teams. Where there's a team, there's a way. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles transform the way they work. After closing their New York City showroom, they started doing virtual visits on Teams, and now people from all over the world can come into their showroom. Learn more at Microsoft.com Teams. Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. By now you know the drill in season two, it's all about championships. And our guest this week is a guy who really had to fight his way into the league. He went undrafted after a great career at LSU. And in my opinion, and of course I'm running with this, really started the string of exceptional defensive backs that went from LSU and made it into the NFL. I'm talking about, of course, Ryan Clark. He won a Super Bowl with the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl 43, but his journey to get to Pittsburgh and the players and teams he worked with and met along the way, please welcome in my good friend, Ryan Clark. We should point out that you just got your first haircut in a long time. Yeah. This is not the way I've been watching you for a while. You finally went high and tight on me after, you know, I think you tried to get 6'5 for a minute. There. Hey, well, listen, because you know, man, I always tell people, you know how women see the difference between 5'11 and 6 foot, Trey. You know what I mean? If you're 6 foot, you're Manu Bowl. If you're 5'11, yeah. you're Muggsy Bokes. You know what I mean? So I was just trying to feel bigger around my house, bro. So I let it grow a little bit. Listen, I mean, that, that's why Russell Wilson stuck to the third round a few years ago. So there are tangible benefits to getting that extra inch any way you could find it. But I wasn't kidding when I said I, I thought you sort of personified the NFL dream because you were, you know, the pride of Marrero, Louisiana, played at LSU, yeah. undrafted. You sign a three-year deal with the Giants. You stay there for two years. You go to Washington. And then you really find your home in Pittsburgh. What was that journey like for you? I mean, it was it – was- it was cool, right? Right, because now you get to tell stories, and I get to talk to people. And if they're not somebody like you who keeps up with the sport, nobody knows that story, right? They they see me in Pittsburgh, they think I'm like everybody else. I got drafted, I played at LSU, and all those things. I remember the last thing ever written about me in college. The title of the story was "Spotlight Growing Dim on Clark." And you know, I started I had started since I was a sophomore, bro. And, you know, I was uh, I was with Nick and under that grind, I was thinking about not even trying to play in the league, like not doing pro day, not doing anything. And so I ended up staying in school for the last semester to graduate. I trained myself for pro day. I got the keys. I don't know if you've ever been on the equipment room. The dude that runs LSU equipment room, his name is G-String. His name is Greg Stringfellow. We call him G-String. G-String gave me a key to the good indoor. To good, good name. He gave me a key to the indoor tray. I would go to class. I would go work out in the, in the weight room and then I'd open up the indoor myself and train myself for the 40 and do drills. And, you know, and so I had a pretty bad two pro days. I had a pretty good day. Then I had another good day. Only one team called after the draft and that was the Giants. And so that was my only shot. I still remember, bro, my, my signing bonus after taxes was $683 and 34 cents. That was, that was my <laughs> signing bonus. <laughs> and, uh, and here's what's crazy, bro. I thought I was kind of rich. You know what I mean? Like, so I, was oh, like, I'm in the, I was like, I'm getting lead checks. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, <laughs> and man, and, and I remember getting on the plane to go to camp and my mom hugs me, bro. And she's like, now go get a job. And I, I was like, and I felt like I couldn't go home without that job. And I remember, bro, that first camp, I did everything to ask me. 
dime, nickel, corner, all of the, the veterans who make fun of me, call me nerdy names because I studied a ton and I knew my place. That's how I made the team. And then, you know, man, you go to Washington. Uh, I met Sean Taylor there, one of my closest friends. And I thought I was going to be there forever. You know how it gets, bro. You play well somewhere. You have fun. Sure. You think they want you. You think they love you. Uh, then I find out they wanted Adam Archuleta more, you know. and, and I was, Big mistake on their part. <laughs> and I was sad about it, though, Trey. I, I, I can be honest with you, bro. Like, I remember, I remember sitting in my house, you know, after being undrafted, um, after being cut from the Giants. Tom Coughlin straight up told me he didn't think I could play safety in this league. You know, he told me he's focused on special teams. There were other leagues like Arena Football, Canadian Football League. You know, and and feeling like you find a place and Greg Williams telling you he wants you there. And then I saw it on the news, bro, that Adam Archuleta was there. Like, it wasn't like they called me, you know. And uh, I just Never remember, did. yeah, I just remember going to Pittsburgh and, and being offered a deal by them and uh, driving, riding to the airport in the back of the car crying. You know what I'm saying? Because even though I didn't get one of these big blockbuster deals, it was like the first time in my NFL career anybody that kind of ever said we want you, you know, and then before, before we, before we get into deep details with Pittsburgh and Washington, I do want to just make one thing perfectly clear. You know, LSU is considered DBU. I think sports illustrated named you guys that a few years ago. And yes, Ohio state maybe is coming up on you guys. I understand that. But if you go through the list of players that have made it into the NFL, whether it's Patrick Peterson, Ty Matthew, Jamal, uh, Grant Delpit, Greedy Williams, I'm just saying you were the first. to go from you were i mean like seriously i'm speaking this thing into freaking existence you were the first one the first really big name db to come out of lsu and make it on the next level how much pride do you take in that and how much do it feels like all the lsu dbs now wear that as a badge of honor no 100 and they use it for recruiting too uh and so uh i did i actually did something with pat peterson a couple of days ago and he asked me about dbu and he asked me, when, it, when did it start? And I was like, honestly, I said, it started with you, Pat. I was like, you know, you won the Thorpe. You did all those things. You passed number seven down the tyrant. I said, but what happened was when you guys started playing so well in college, it then turned to me because I was the oldest dude in the league. And like I had accomplished more in the league than the other people. I said, and so I kind of got to be a part of it retrospectively. You know, people started looking at me like, hey, man, you kind of like the big uncle in this or the big bro. And so, man, like, we love it. Like, we take pride in it. It matters. And it's one of those things. It kind of almost matters more than LSU winning football games for me. Like, the first game of the season, when Mississippi State threw for 600 yards and people were in my mentions talking about it, I wanted the real-life fight. You know, like, it was yeah. one of those things. I had to mute. <laughs> and I had to, like, mute and block people so I ain't say stupid stuff. You know what I mean? I was like, there's no way I'm capable of not answering you, so I'm just going to mute you. So we take a lot of pride in it. Well, it, it certainly has been an amazing thing to watch, and it just continues year in and year out. Uh, and, and now let, let's talk about the relationship that you had with Sean Taylor, because you have talked to me about that a million times. But but tell people and let them understand what it was like playing with him, because you know that guy. Well, we'll get into something that you did in an AFC Championship game a little later. But I, I don't think I've everybody seen anybody lay the wood more consistently on guys than Sean Taylor. What was it about his game that you like so much and him as a person that you guys got along so well together? I think the, the thing you, you, you liked about his game, Trey, is like, you know, like I watch you, right? Like when we, when we would work together, we would do things on NFL Live, it felt different than any other day, you know? And it wasn't that other people weren't good at their jobs, but when you did it, like we knew it was going to be unscripted. You didn't need all these things written. You need all this help. Like you had it, 
Sean was Sean was like that. You know what I mean? And and by him being that way, it made him fearless too. Like I had fear. Like I ain't even gonna lie, Trey. You know, if we doing one on ones, I'm not gonna jump out there with Santana Moss. What the hell would I do that for? I'm gonna get cut. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. not gonna show him I can't do it. And I remember, bro, we're in camp. I don't know if you remember. I know, of course, it's you. You remember David Patton, right? David Patton could really run. <laughs> sure. Right. Absolutely. He could really run. And, you know, when you're a safety, you cover tight ends, maybe some slots like the fourth receiver. That's your job. David Patton hops out, bro. Sean's a rookie. He's 230-something pounds. He runs out there with David Patton, bro. So David Patton runs like a – it might be a secondary. runs a post route. He beats Sean inside. David's elbows, elbows and a-holes, bro. Knees pumping, boom. <laughs> right? And so it's like, oh, that's, that's a catch, right? The ball's thrown. Sean catches up with David Patton, bro. Slides his hands like past David's ear, so outside of his helmet. Patton got his hands like this. Sean reaches, grabs it out of his hand, bro, turns around, starts running down the field. Fans are out there. Everybody goes crazy. And it's like, see, well, now that I cannot do. Right? And it was like, and I've never seen it done. And so practice goes, he has 20 picks in his rookie camp. 20. Because Greg Williams keeps track. 20. He has two in his first game. One against the Rams. And so you're watching him, bro. And the moment I remember most about it, we're playing Cincinnati. Chad Johnson, this is his rookie year. Chad Johnson is bouncing in front of the huddle and Chad will wear gold fronts, right? And this is when Chad was like making Champ Bailey cuss people out at, at post game. This is when Chad was Chad. First play of the game, we already knew Sean was going to be man-to-man on Chad Johnson on the outside. We had already planned it, right? Now think about that. A 6'2", 235-pound safety was going to be man-to-man with the number one, a pro bowl all-pro. Chad's bouncing around in the huddle. This one, I think Chad's a bad man. Sean walks from the back of the huddle, bro, and goes, by the end of this day, I'm going to be the only mother F out here with gold teeth. And so I'm expecting, <laughs> so, so, you know, so I'm, I'm expecting Chad to be like, you know, say something back. Bro, Chad stops bouncing, walks, and gets in the huddle. And that was when I knew. I was like, not only do I know you're different, bro, everybody in the world knows. Uh, that's like him, like being the alpha dog. He just peed on the hydrant. And the hydrant <laughs> yeah, that's, was. that's yeah. Pretty, pretty much what that. All due respect to Chad, I love you, you know, no but that's it. that's sort of what happened. So, so had he been able to play an entire career, you know, had he been a, not been tragically killed, would he, in your mind, have been the best ever? Do yes, it? he was the he was the the best natural talent I ever played with. Troy's the best player I ever played with, uh, Palomalu, but Sean was the best natural talent I'd ever played with. And it's so sad, bro. Um, the year he passed, uh, we played them in the preseason. And during that week, because the, the year before, Archer Leonard didn't really play well. Everybody understood how close we were, how much we talked. That week, they asked him about me. And he kind of, like, the answer was kind of like flipping, you know? It wasn't necessarily like this glowing endorsement of who I was to him. Right. And, um, we're warming up before the game and he meets me and he, he's apologizing to me, you know, and he used to call me little killer. He was like, little killer, man. I ain't mean it that way. Just everybody's always asking me about it. Like, that's why I'm not plotted plays well, whatever, whatever. I was like, bro, you went to the pro bowl last year. Shut up. Like that's ridiculous. And I was like, I said it also, you never have to apologize to me. I was like, ever. I was like, I get it. But then he went on, um, he had just had baby Jackie and he was engaged to Jackie. He had found a mentor to where he, you know, was, was getting closer spiritually to God. And, and, and it was like one of those conversations where you see your big, your little brother grow up, 
you know, and it wasn't like I was so much older than him. Just our lives were so different. Like when I met him, I was already married and I had two kids, you know, and to see him in that place, I was like, he got it, you know? And I was like, this is, this is who I always knew him to be. Like that was the dude that would eat, eat at my house and we play video games together or smile. But I was like, the world didn't know that dude. And so though we'd seen him that season be the best he'd ever was, right? He, he was leading the league in picks before he hurts his knee. Uh, he ended up being a Pro Bowl player, you know, still after his passing. And we got to see the best Sean Taylor football-wise we've seen in the league. He was also becoming the best he was as a dude, you know. And so I think that that combination would have had him right now, the conversation would be Sean Taylor, Ronnie Lott. Then we'd get to, you know, like Ed and Troy and those guys. I think he was that special. And there was a lot of reckless speculation about the instances surrounding his death. Mm -hmm. For those that knew him and knew where he was in his life, how difficult was that to take? It was hard, man. Uh, they, there, were still, there were still some colleagues of mine that became colleagues of mine, thanks to you, who I didn't like. You know, who, who I still, who I've had to work on forgiving for saying things like, well, if you live like this, you die like this. You know, people getting what, what he deserved. You know what I'm saying? And I always, and like, that was always very tough on me. Um, and, you know, and we'll probably get into it at some point. The day I found out he passed was like two days after I got out of the hospital from my spleen and from, and with Denver and everything, you know, so I was banged up and to be, so I got to stay home and watch everything, which is stupid. You know, like I kept the TV right. on and I watched every report and I listened to people talk and I was just like, y'all don't know who he is. You know, and, and, and y'all are y'all are taking some instances from a young man's life that's very, very much about where he's from, the people he was surrounded with. And he did definitely made bad decisions and made mistakes, but he never got his opportunity to show that that wasn't who he was holistically. And you know how it is, Trey, man. I mean, if, if, if every part of, of my life was looked at under a microscope, there'd be some things come out about me that I'd be like, oh, you know. And I felt bad that he never got an opportunity to, to, to change that perception of himself. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the spleen thing because, uh, you know, you, you talk about hearing people say the wrong thing. I got triggered this year uh, when someone <laughs> went at you. I think it was the Jets-Denver right. game on Thursday. And somebody said, oh, Ryan Clark, you bitched out of playing in a game in Denver. I'm like, dude, you need to shut the hell up. You have no idea what you're talking about. Or you do, and you're just a right. terrible human being. I, I was you were, triggered. Bro. For those that don't know, you play – yeah, you played a game in Denver, and you have the sickle cell trait, and you almost died on the flight back from from Mile High that uh, year. Well, what's crazy is almost died before we took off, so we didn't get to take off. Like that was the that was the crazy part. So, um, the first time I played there was in Washington. It happened that time they misdiagnosed it. So I'm so stupid, Trey. I'm on the plane going to Denver, going ha ha ha. Hope my spleen doesn't get hurt. Just like joking, being a dummy. Right. And so, and so we freaking lose to Jay Cutler too. Like that's the worst part. We lose to Jay Cutler. I'm getting on the plane. I tell the trainer, I say, Hey man, my spleen hurts. And the trainer go like kind of laughs at me and goes, well, how do you know that? I was like, well, it happened before. So man, like we're trying to take off and I'm like, no, I'm really hurting. So the doctor comes up, he's kind of, you know, tapping on me and everything. He walks to the back. Next time I see him, bro, he has his bags with him. Right. And he's like, you gotta get off the plane. So we get off, we go to the hospital, 
they kind of treat me for a little bit, but they send me home. Like they can't do anything. And I remember Trey, I called home, bro. And I was like, man, I was like, I can't. And I'm tough. And I was like, I can't take this. So bro, I, sh- I take a cold shower. I turn the air conditioning in the room all the way down. And now it's like late October in Denver. And I tried to lay on the floor because I was like, maybe if I can numb myself, I can stop this pain. So, bro, I ended up going back to the hospital. I stayed in Denver overnight. They flew me home. About a month later, man, I'm down from 205 to 160. You know? And so um, what would happen was every night, Trey, I'd go to sleep. My temperature would be like 98, 99. At about 2 o'clock, it would be no less than 102 every night. And I'd change my clothes. I'd change my sheets. And then I'd go back to sleep. And this was every night for like two weeks. But all the tests said nothing. Finally, I called the doctor, bro. He was in New York and he goes, I was like, doc, I was like, I know you keep saying the tests don't reveal anything. I was like, but something's wrong with me. I was like, I was like, this isn't normal. I was like, I can't eat. You know, I was like, my fever's high every night. He kind of appeases me like, go take the, go, go back. Just go take the test. Calls me an hour and goes, where are you? I was like, I'm driving home. And he said, don't go, don't pack a bag. Don't go to your house. Get to the hospital. Uh, I had a really bad infection. And so I'm in the hospital, bro, probably like five days, four days. And they're, they're, they, what they were doing, like they, was, they, were va- they would vacuum pieces of my spleen out every day because, <sighs> because it was too big to take out. And they were trying to keep my career intact too. The doctor was like, if we cut through your abdomen to take, it might hurt you. And so, bro, so the second time they're doing yeah, it. Yeah, it would hurt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the second time we're doing it, Trey, I wake up in the middle. Right? I, so the anesthesia. Of the surgery? Of the, the, the vacuuming. They, they, they put, oh my God. And so I wake up in the middle. And so the guy doing it, the doctor looks at me and goes, can you take the pain? Like, are you okay? And so I was like, well, should I be able to, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like it wasn't hurting, but I was yeah. like, should I be able to? And he was like, well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess kind of. And to me, that was a challenge. Cause I thought to myself, well, this means somebody else who's a regular person has woken up doing this and been able to take it. So ain't no way that that is that is the (laughs) ultimate competitor's mindset right there, right? Everything is a competition. That guy got his spleen scraped. Son of a bitch, I'm gonna get my spleen scraped away. Right, right. And so I get it done, bro. And then like I ask him afterwards, he's like, Yeah, you probably shouldn't have been able to do that. I was like, Oh, well, it's over now. Anyway. So (laughs) and so man, yeah. So like the next morning, next morning, bro, and you know, we laughing. So the next morning, Trey, I'm in the bathroom. And this is why I have so much respect for people who deal with terminal illness and cancer and continue to fight. Cause I remember make, waking up that morning and just being like, I'm tired. You know what I mean? I was like, it's that, like, they can do whatever the hell they want. Like I'm tired. And doctor comes in, he looked just like Tom Brady. I used to call him Dr. Tom Brady. And I figured they put me in the hospital with a guy that looked like Tom Brady. And um, he comes in, bro. He looks at me and he was like, he was super cool. He was like, F that. He's like, I don't care if they ever find out what the infection is. I'm taking you to surgery now. It was supposed to be like a really like hour and a half surgery. It took four hours. Uh, I got my gallbladder removed like a couple of weeks later. Um, and then, you know, after that, then it turned to, well, can I play? And uh, they was like, shoot, you know, if you can get healthy enough to play, you can. And so starting that January, man, I, I worked to play. And the next February, I'm our Super Bowl champ. Well, that's, that's an amazing story. And I tell you what, it sounds like a perfect time to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll talk about that Super Bowl run with the Steelers, maybe one of the greatest hits in the history of Championship Sunday, and also how Twitter sometimes can get people hired. We'll get to that with (laughs) you. 
Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles reinvent the way they work. When the pandemic hit, the bike shop had to close their New York City showroom. Now they found a way to reopen by doing virtual visits on Teams. And now the team can meet with two or three times the number of customers they could before, and people from all over the world can visit their showroom. Learn more about their story and others at Microsoft.com slash Teams. All right, welcome back to this episode of Half Forgotten History, talking to my friend, a longtime Steeler and safety in the NFL, Ryan Clark. Uh, before we get into anything else, I, I, do, I, I do, listen, I don't like to take a lot of credit, but I do like taking credit for this, because when you were still playing, yep. I followed you on Twitter, and for whatever reason, I don't know, you followed me, and you put well, out you there one Wingo, sp- so. spring, whatever, <laughs> uh, so I, I'll, never, I'll never forget this, you put that on Twitter, if there's any company looking for an intern this summer, I'd like to intern for you. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world that a guy who's had a lot of success in the NFL, and you know, you don't have the monster, monster contracts, but you're not hurting. Right, for sure. Was willing to say, hey, I want to be an intern somewhere. What, what was the motivation behind you putting that tweet out? Oh, I think being an undrafted free agent. You know what I mean? Like I, I, was, yeah. I was always, always kind of understood, you know, that there was going to have to be a life for me after football. And I wanted to be successful. and. I was also smart enough to know that at that time I could leverage being Ryan Clark of the Pittsburgh Steelers to get into places. You didn't have to take it kind of like other people did. And, you know, I was smart enough to understand that. And I was like, man, let me just see if there's a company. And don't get me wrong. When it was you, I was much happier than if it would have been like a construction company. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I, yeah. I obviously would have went to see it, see if it was something I could do and learn, but it was better to go do TV, bro. And I, I think, though, you know, I, I am I am 100% loyal to you, one, because that's the type of dude you are. But what it showed me, because, you know, like people say things, right? You know, people, like people like, yeah. cats want to be cool, right? So they say things. But when yeah. I came to New Orleans, remember, Super Bowl was in New Orleans that year, right? Yeah. I went to do NFL Live with you, and you went, hey, let me introduce you to Seth. And at that time, I was like, well, who the hell is Seth? He's like, he runs the NFL here, man. If you really want to intern, like, that's your guy. And I just thought that was, I thought that was cool, man. Cause in a world where people don't really keep their word, their word in a world where people are more about seeming to be good people than being good people. Like you did that for me. And that's why I took it seriously. Cause I was like, F that man, like this man put his name on the line for me. I'm going to go do it. And like you do it and it was fun and I enjoyed it. And I was like, well, shoot, this would be a pretty dope post career. But I, I, I mentioned it all the time. Like, no, if Trey doesn't DM me, I never go work for that week. Like I never intern. Well, it's nice of you to say. Long story short, I saw that and I'm like I DM'd you and I said, "Dude, come work for us." And Seth, <laughs> who's been a longtime friend of mine forever, was like, "Oh hell yeah, I love this idea." So that's that's how that all got started. But and let's, that's how let's I got continue. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, nobody's a self-made man. Everybody needs help. Um, yes, sir. So so let's let's go back. We talked about your time with Taylor, and then you play with Troy. And I remember you telling me once the hardest part for your job when you played with Troy is that you knew what you were supposed to do and you knew what he was supposed to do. But every once in a while, Troy's just going to go do the Troy thing. And you're like, <laughs> damn, now I got to do what I'm supposed yeah. to do and, and he's supposed to do. Because Troy was the ultimate freewheeler, right? No doubt, man. And, but you know what, too, Trey? It was because he knew so much, dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and he, he was ready to go all the time. The problem was, though, he didn't always know when it would trigger. You know what I mean? Like, like there were sometimes, like, during the week, like, I'd call him, and I'd be like, hey, bro, did you see such and such play? And he'd be like, yeah, man, if we get that early in the game, and they go, if I see the same formation, they come back to it, I'm going to jump it. 
okay, I know. So now I've seen it once. The next time, I'm waiting for him to jump it. But, Troy, when you're supposed to be in the flat in cover three and you just blitz on second and seven, you might want to tell me that, dog. You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> like, that, like that dude's wide butt naked booty open, bro. And, he's, and so I remember one time going, all right, TP, tell me what you're looking at so maybe I'll know. And he's like, you know, Ryan, like, I just, I feel it. And if you look at the... <laughs> you're doing Palomalu voice right now, yeah, which is yeah. phenomenal. I just want people to point that out. Yeah, he's on the sideline. He's like, so, you know, you could see 53's knuckles, you know, they were turning red. So I could tell he was heavy. All right. I was like, hey, bro, I'm 27 yards back there. I can't see none of that, though. You got to give me something else. But he was like, and then, and like, after a while, he just used to tell me, he's like, I just feel it. And man, what's to be the funniest thing, Trey, is we'd be in the meetings, bro. And so he'd know what he blitz when he wasn't supposed to blitz or he jumped some route he wasn't supposed to jump and we got a guy in trouble for it, right? And so first they'd be like, great job, you know, Coach LeBeau. Good job, RC. Way, way to get him on the ground, Ryan. And then Troy would take his, he always wore a hood for the meeting. And he'd take his shirt and he'd go, and look at me like that. I'd be like, yeah, bro. Again, <laughs> or freaking again, bro. And, and he was just though, like he was extremely smart, Trey, but he believed it. You know, like I was like the, I was much more point guard than he was, right? I would study a lot of film so the defense was together, right? He would study a lot of film so he could make plays. And I think that's why we worked really well together. Well, it, it was an amazing combination. And you guys had a ton of success, including uh, the run to Super Bowl 43. Uh, where you had the AFC Championship game at Heinz against your arch rival, the Baltimore Ravens. Now, for those that maybe didn't really watch football 12 years ago, every year the Ravens-Steelers game was the game. I mean, yes. look, the, the Manning-Brady-Patriots-Colts game was the offensive game, but if you wanted to talk about the game in a rivalry, it was the Steelers' defense and the Ravens defense on the same field, each trying to knock the crap out of the opposing offenses. As a defender in that series, how serious did you take those games? Trey, you know, you know the saying, it's just another game. That's the biggest BS and crock. That's the biggest yeah. crock of, of, of ever told. Because it wasn't, bro. The, the, the way you prepared for that game, but the way you felt going into it. You know, everybody thinks it's about the people you look across the, the line of scrimmage for, right? Bro, I didn't care about no Joe Flacco. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't care about Willis McGee. You know who I cared about? Ray Lewis, T-Sizzle, right? Ed Reed. Because what we knew is that those dudes on the other side, and this happened once a year, those dudes were as bad as we were. And they were as mean as we were, and as physical, and as talented. So we were never playing the offense. You know what I'm saying? And so it was like, if Ed got a pick, to a man, defensively, we was like, all right, Troy. Like, you see, he got a pick. Like, come on, like, it's time for you to do something. That was the most important two weeks of any season, sometime three weeks uh, in, in two different years. And you knew, man, that the next week, the other team had a leg up on you. You know what I mean? So, like, when you see those kung fu movies, like, the first dude, he, he beats up, like, the first <laughs> dude, but the next dude kind of has him limping and has a better chance. That's who, that's who the Cleveland Browns are going to be the week after the Baltimore Ravens. Because everything you had emotionally, mentally, but more importantly, physically, was spent the Sunday before. Yeah. So, so you mentioned Willis McGahee. So the turning point in the AFC Championship game uh, that year is at Heinz, Ravens, Steelers. Uh, you're up 23 to 14 with about three and a half minutes to play. And Flacco dumps one underneath the Willis McGahee, who catches it and makes the football <laughs> move. 
and out of nowhere, you come flying in. Both of you bounce off each other. The ball comes flying out. It's recovered, I think, by Simmons or Timmons. I think, but I'm I think, not yeah, sure. it was Timmons and both Woodley, of, one of them. One of those two guys. By the way, Lamar Woodley. Just an enormous head. That's a separate issue entirely. We can get into that a little bit later. Just a gigantic bulbous thing sticking out of his shoulder and neck. That hit, like, first of all, in today's NFL, that can't no, happen. No, you get fired. But it was, it was not flagged. It was a clean and legal hit at the time. That might have been the most ferocious hit I've ever seen. T- tell me how you saw it going through as the play was developed. Oh, it's pretty dope, man. So the week before, um, Darren Sproles, in two-minute drill, moves from one side of the quarterback to the other. He catches an F-angle route, which is the same route Willis McGahee ran. We were in two-man, and he scored on us, but we were up big. So we're in the same situation, same formation. Willis McGahee moves from one side of Joe Flacco to the other. And I go, oh, they watched film last week. So we were in cover four, which is just four across. I, I moved backwards to show, like, I'm in the same coverage that we were in last week. So y'all got us. Oh, look, y'all got us. We're in the same coverage. Willis is going to be wide open and score a touchdown. Ha ah. And I planted my back foot tray and I had made my mind up. I said, when he starts running, I'm going to start running and I'm not going to stop till I run through his chest. And that was it, man. Like he took off. I took off. Yeah, he took off. I took off, bro. And Greg Williams, who a lot of people don't like, who I actually like, which is weird deal. Um, maybe means I'm not a great person. Um, used to always tell me, he used to like, cause like when I played for Washington, bro, I was like 185 and they made me play strong safety. Cause Sean was so talented in the back end, you know? And I was like, coach, like this seems backwards to me. I was like, he's two thirty. Why am I in the box doing all these things? And he goes, he said, cause you never blink. He's like, and you never flinch. And it always stuck with me, you know? And when I got to that point, Trey, to, to pull the trigger on Willis, like all I was thinking was don't blink, don't flinch. And uh, yeah, and I don't remember much after that, except for what I see on video. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah man, that was it, it. Was, it was incredible. <laughs> uh, and, you know, thankfully, you both were OK and McGahee was yeah. OK. But that that basically sealed the game. Mm-hmm. So now you guys go to the Super Bowl, take on the upstoat Arizona Cardinals. By the way, this was when the Arizona Cardinals weren't the Cardinals that we know today. They were a joke. Yeah. They were a joke. The Arizona yes. Cardinals were a long joke in the NFL. I mean, Kurt Warner said the line, yeah, the Cardinals are actually going to the Super Bowl. So I think a lot of people thought you guys were just going to tap dance them. You got up early in that mm-hmm. game. But then the first half made a really weird turn. And right before the half, they're on the one-yard line, about to go in for a score, which would really put them up big at halftime. And James Harrison pulls that interception out of his butt and somehow <laughs> makes it all the way down to score just before the half. How big was that play on the sidelines and on the field? Bro, it's the biggest play. It's the biggest play of the game. Obviously, people are going to point to Santonio's catch because that's how we won the game. I, I don't believe we're in that position without James's play. One, he was supposed to blitz. That's the first thing. Uh, but, but it's a defensive player of the year play, right? It just happens like that for dudes like that. Um, Wednesday, Trey, we practice. And, you know, the scout team is going to throw a lot of interceptions for two reasons. One, they're not very good most times. Um, two, you yeah. pretty much know every play, right? <laughs> and so you get a lot of interceptions at practice. We were getting them and, like, throwing the ball back to the offense, kind of dropping them on the ground. So Coach Tomlin comes in Thursday morning. He mentions it, right? Kind of, hey, guys, you know, let's transition on some of these turnovers. Coach LeBeau, bro, who never cusses us, who – 
never screams any of these things is irate. Like, for as much as he could get mad, bro, he's that he's there. And you know, Coach LeBeau's like our like our grandfather, like our dad. Like we felt like crap. So he's when you catch an interception, you turn to, to offensive players, you block, you run. And so he goes through every interception or turnover in that practice where we don't transition, right? So Thursday, Friday, bro, even Saturday, the walkthrough, every time we got a turnover, we transition. The, the, the interceptor or the fumble recovery turned into the, the running back. Everybody else turned into blockers. And so if you see that play, as soon as he catches it, it was never a thought of kneel and ill. He takes off and we all turn to blockers. And I think like the coolest part about that is it's, you practice something, you have an issue with something, it's coached up, you take the coaching, and it changes the game. You know, then I remember the last block who I really didn't hit anybody because the offensive lineman fell. And I was like, I'm going to dive at his face because I just ran 100 freaking yards. I'm going to touch somebody down here. But he, I ended up sliding by Larry Fitzgerald's feet. So he got to James late and James got in the end zone. And I remember James was on the ground, bro. And he's like, I was like, I'm trying to pick him up. But one, he's heavy, right? I was like, bro, are you all right, dog? Like, are you hurt? He's like, nah, I'm not hurt, but I'm tired. So we just going to let him walk out here. And so that was why, like, there's a picture <laughs> of me standing over James, bro. And, like, people are like, man, what, were you celebrating? Were you cussing? Like, were you excited? I said, no. I was asking him what was wrong with him. And he was telling me he was faking because he was tired. I was like, but he's so dumb. We was going to halftime anyway. That, that was, <laughs> it's, a, it's honestly, bro, the, the, the greatest play I've ever been a part of. So even with that, you guys still had to come from behind in the fourth quarter because late in that game, and you guys are oh, up bro. twenty to sixteen. Fitz gets loose. What happened on that? It was like a sixty-yard touchdown pass. What happened? What was the breakdown in secondary there? The two, the two safeties that were supposed to be good. That was the breakdown. So Trey, we knew in the formation and see, uh, I can't, I can't act like I'm talking to you. I got like I'm talking to people who are watching this. We knew we were going to get like a, a, a like short routes on the outside, which we got. And we were going to get post corners by the number two receivers, right? And we were in two man. So we knew that our guy would be inside and underneath. So me and Troy looked at each other before the play. We was like, bro, we're about to get the corners. And that's our play. So we both go jump the corners. We're not even looking at Kurt Warner. We know one of us is about to get a pick and steal the game. He throws the underneath to Larry. And we're supposed to be low and underneath. That's supposed to get tackled. So Larry catches it, bro. Me and Troy, Troy's basically standing on Arizona's sideline. I'm on our sideline, and Larry's running down the middle of the field. Now, the bigger issue is this. Troy is a fat boy, right? He loves food. He found, he found a Jamaican restaurant in Tampa that week. Trey, we ate it every night, bro. And if, and if you know anything about Troy, you know he doesn't do it in moderation. So say like, like no. if you go, to, like if, you know, if you go to a restaurant tray, you like tonight. I want the steak. Like you're gonna get the steak, and you, and even if you're looking at a menu and you're questioning, like, man, I might want the fish, but now nah, I'm gonna go with steak. Troy's thought is, I might want the fish, but I know I want steak, so I'm gonna buy the steak and get the fish because I might want the fish too, right? So we would go to this Jamaican spot, bro, and order ten plates every night, and we'd sit in my room or his room. We pick off of the plate. This is before COVID, obviously. You can do this. We'd eat what right. we want to eat. And then we go down the hall and knock on doors and be like, hey, man, we got Jamaican food left over. Do y'all want it? Troy's at this time, bro, like 245, 248, right? I'm five pounds heavier than I was before we left Pittsburgh. No way we was catching Larry. You know, Larry was probably eating grass that week and freaking 
uh, grilled grilled uh, <laughs> salmon and sea bass. You know, Larry was preparing the way you should prepare for the Super Bowl, while me and Troy pigged out to act like we won it the week before. So we had no shot. Well, it, it, so the good news is that wasn't <laughs> the, the game-winning play by a wide receiver. It ended up being Santonio Holmes. So the thing I remember about the end of that game, too, is Santonio dropped the, the catch in the left corner of the end zone, which was much easier, but he atoned for it and comes up with that amazing catch. To this day, Cardinal fans still swear he didn't get the second foot down. Well, but, I mean, that, that was one of the most amazing. Outside of the Tyree helmet catch, it's one of the greatest catches in Super Bowl history. Bro, absolutely. And, and Trey, and I'm going to be honest with you. You know when, because we were very good on defense that year, number one defense in the league, we were like, the whole year we held this team up and we freaking blew it. You know, like we thought that it's a wrap. And then all of a sudden, bro, we, we watched Ben. And he remember, Santonio was, was big that whole drive. And then he drops the ball and they go right back to him in the second play. And we're all watching from the sideline. And we were like, no effing way. Like he just caught that ball. And then, you know, the, the, the touchdown stands. And now we're like, oh, crap, they get the ball back. And remember, Woodley forces the fumble on Kurt Warner, right? So I'm running. I just start running, right? Oh, I'm like, ah. Oh. Troy's like, where are you going? I was like, I don't know, bro. We just won the Super Bowl, whatever, whatever. And he hugs me. And he goes, I was so scared that Larry was going to jump on right here to catch the game-winning touchdown. Like, that, that was all he could think of about. Cause you're, but, Trey, you remember? Larry went crazy that playoff. Yeah, he was nuts. He was going to win the Super Bowl. He was going to be the MVP if they won the game. He was going to win the Super Bowl, bro. He was absolutely amazing. And, you know, like, me and Troy are a lot of things, but tall we are not. You know what I mean? We were, like, we were like, bro, Larry Fitzgerald is going to jump over our head and win the Super Bowl, and we're forever going to be the two safeties that let him do it. Not only did we chase him down the field and not catch him, he also jumped over our heads and won it. So nobody was happier for, about Woodley's play than me and Troy. Yeah, it's so funny you do that voice because I remember interviewing Troy on the field after the game. He's like, I don't know what happened. I'm just so excited. <laughs> He's holding his little baby yeah. at the time. It was like, and it just that voice. It just it doesn't go. It doesn't go with the guy you see the way he plays. No. Um, so so all that said and done in the moment. Again, undrafted, out of LSU, uh, from Marrero, all these kind of things. When it hit you. You were cut by the Giants when you thought you'd made that team. The Redskins at that time, now the WFT, or the, yeah, the WFT, yep. uh, said, yeah, we're going to go with Adam Archuleta over you. All those things are processing, and there you are as a Super Bowl champion. What was that feeling like? Bro, it was the ultimate relief, bro. I'm going to be honest with you, Trey. It was relief. It, 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 was, it was just relief, bro, because you got to remember the, the year before that, I lose one of my closest friends. Right. Uh, I, I go through what I go through with with sickle cell and they didn't know if I was going to be able to not not only after I was I, I, I lived, they didn't know if I was going to be able to play again, you know. And so the, the energy it took to, to, to get to the first game, uh, the energy it took to to play each week was different for me now, because when, when you when you're sick or if you think you're going to die. Right. And this is probably morbid. But, like, all I could picture was, you know, Trey Wingo on ESPN saying Ryan Clark has passed from complications in the Denver Broncos. And all I could think about was that they were going to show the last play of the game, right? The last play of the game, Jay Cutler takes a knee and I walk off. And all I could think about was, like, 
how would that have been that the, the thing people remembered about you or that was shown was that Jay Cutler beat you and took a knee and you just walked off the field. You know what I'm saying? And so when we played Houston to start that season, I could, I could take you through every play that year and how I played it, why I played it. I told my shoulder up week seven and then it happened again week 14. And they were like, you know what, man, like you might get nerve damage if you play. I was like, there's no freaking way I'm not playing. Like they, could, they couldn't pop my shoulder back in. And they were like, well, we're just going to have to leave you in Tennessee. I was like, the hell you will. The last time you left me somewhere, I almost died. You know what I mean? And so I'm laying on the ground, bro. I'm laying on the ground in confetti. And people think like I'm laying there in like celebration. I can be honest, Trey, bro. I was exhausted. You know what I mean? It was just, it was like all that. It was the, the undrafted thing. It, it was being cut. Like when I was cut, bro, I worked at LSU. Like I had just asked Will Muschamp, could I be a graduate assistant? You know, like my football life was over in that sense. And then to be at that point, man, have all that, those things culminate in, in that moment. I was like, this was, it was bigger. It was bigger than me. It was about all those people, the doctors, the nurses, my family that, that helped me get back to that moment. And to share that with, with the greatest organization in the world with, you know, one of my closest friends still, Troy, it was, it was amazing, bro. And I was just like, I was relieved that we had got there. But I was also relieved we didn't lose. It's interesting. I always like asking that question because the answer you get is never what you expect. You know, it's it's never it's never this joyous eruption of happiness. It's always something else that people are thinking about in that moment, and that's really cool. That's why you're on this season of uh, Half Forgotten History because it's all about the rings. Two years later, you didn't win, but that's a separate issue. We don't need to go in that. That's a, that's another story. We'll have it for another. That's the day. loser season. We'll see what that's the loser season. Yeah, well, well, that's super. That's season. That's season eighteen. The losers. <laughs> we'll deal with that one later. But you are you are definitively not a loser in my book, and I, I'll never. I, I I don't think you'll ever know how much that tweet meant to me that you were just like, hey, I'm looking for a job. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And it led to our friendship, which is even better. So cheers to you, brother. And uh, always good health and, and good tidings for you. All right. All right, man. Love you, brother. Have a good one, my dog. See you, brother. Yes, sir. Once again, our thanks to Ryan Clark for joining us on this episode. Always good to catch up with one of my best friends for all those years at ESPN. And when we come back next week, another one of those very good friends join in. His name is Damian Woody. And Damian Woody has figured out life because not only did he win multiple Super Bowls, he signed multiple multi-million dollar contracts as a slobber-knocking offensive lineman. I mean, he won the game and then he won the game. Damian Woody, next week on Half Forgotten History.